back. Episode six. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Nick and I interview Marianne Cook. She is the department chair for the HR Management Master's Program at Golden Gate University. She shares a lot of really interesting stuff about the world of work and what it should look like moving forward. And we think you're really going to enjoy it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Thanks, Marianne. Great. Okay. Thanks, Brendan. Brendan was one of my students in class. And thank you, Nick, for inviting me here today. And uh, kudos on your podcast. Um, thank you. And oh, I hope it goes really well, continues to grow. Um, so I am a professor of management in a business school, uh, which is where I have always taught. I'm at Golden Gate University in San Francisco. Uh, prior to that, I was at Oregon Health and Science University, um, and which was um, uh, which was gobbled up the smaller school that I had been a part of, which was Oregon Graduate Institute, which was a school that I was hired at to teach uh, management skills to people who worked in uh, technology at the time up in up in the Portland area, in what we called Silicon Forest. Uh, that was a while ago. I've also worked at Portland State University and at the University of Oregon. So I spent a lot of years in Oregon. But I've been at Golden Gate now for a while. And um, so how did I get into all this? Wow, that goes way back. So, um, so when I was in college, I was a history major. I went to the University of Michigan and I was a history major and I loved it and I loved um, I loved studying history. I studied modern French history. Um, I loved the idea of studying and learning and being on a campus. Um, neither of my parents went to college or, or my dad went. My mom took some classes, but they, neither one of them graduated. So, um, so kind of new territory within the gen my generation, all, all of my um, five siblings have all, all have at least master's degrees. A couple of us have doctorates. Um, uh, but I wanted to be a professor. I was drawn to the life. I, 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 it was something that I could believe in as work. Um, but the catch was that it, this, was, this was in the 1970s, full disclosure, I'm old. Uh, and it was at a time when there weren't that many jobs for history professors. And my advisor at the time said to me, don't, don't, don't get a doctorate in history. It, it will, you won't, you'll, you'll end up driving a cab is what he said to me. So I listened to him. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I listened to him and I, and I didn't do that. And I did a couple other things. I, I lived in France for a couple of years and um, worked odd jobs there. Uh, I moved to, to New York and I worked in book publishing and I uh, was a book editor there. Um, I, I uh, worked at a Chinese language school, um, but, but all the while in the back of my head, it was playing that I wanted to be a professor. So I started doing some research and I found out that for every newly minted PhD in business, um, there were 12 jobs at the time, a heck of a lot better than what was going on in history. So then I thought, well, okay, maybe I could do that and maybe I can make that work. So that's how I got into the field. I studied, um, I was in New York, I stayed in New York, I went to Columbia and, um, and from there, um, 
I like to say in New York, I, I got a degree, I got a, a career and a husband. And we decided to take a little Western adventure when I graduated. Um, both of us had never lived in the Western United States. Um, and we ended up at University of Oregon. I, we ended up at my job at the University of Oregon. And, and this, is a, this is a topic actually that's near and dear to my heart is um, the dilemma of couples where both partners work and how do you make decisions about careers. And in fact, I've done um, some research on that. Um, and it, that's, a, that's a huge issue. Um, a very big deal. But anyway, so I ended up at the University of Oregon and uh, at, in the business school there and then moved on since. My field is human resource management. Um, and more particularly, or the way I like to think of it is I like, I'm in the business of teaching people how to manage people at work. So it um, plays a little bit into your field, Nick, with the psychology and and Brendan, I know you work in HR, um, but it's all about people, which are the biggest and most important asset of any organization, in my humble opinion. Um, and so I've been able to study a lot of things that have to do with how they affect the business, but also about people. So that kind of played a little bit into my interest in history. And so I haven't completely given up what I first thought I was going to get into, but here I am now. Awesome. I, I was curious as you were explaining part of your story too, how you touched on it there for a second, but how do you think history has lended itself to being like a practical skill when it comes to like understanding business in the workforce? Oh boy. I, you know, because I personally think it's extremely valuable. I've kind of become a little bit of a history investigator myself as I've been dipping my toe further and further into the field. Um, but I'm curious what your take is. Well, for sure. In fact, um, in well, when I became the director of the HR program at Golden Gate University, I uh, did a, a refresh, a revamp of the curriculum. And one of the things that I did was I... Um, I uh, decided that we would have a class called Work and Workforce Trends. And what that is, is about kind of the history of work, um, kind of starting with uh, like the 1920s in the United States, so that people could understand kind of organically the industrialization, the, the formation of unions, um, the, the whole thing of, of large organizations and and then uh, moving forward, kind of the, the, the growth of uh, independent contractors and part-time workers the, and the different types of people coming into the workforce when women join the workforce and all of that. I think it's really important to know the history because it, it gives you a sense of what has worked and not worked before instead of kind of working in a, a complete vacuum of I don't know, let's try this, you know, who knows mm -hmm. what, what'll happen. So I think it, um, knowing the history of anything that you're studying just helps you be placed more humbly in a bigger picture. Um, and, that, and that's good for us to know. Yeah. And it also gives you some idea of where we might go, knowing where we've been and how things have changed and how quickly then 
that gives you some better projection maybe for the future. Yeah. And one other thing that you kind of got my brain turning on was the idea that, um, you know, we have a lot to learn from the things that have worked in history. And you also mentioned that you're a big part of your, um, I guess what you see as what you do is you help people who manage people. And I think a big part of that too, when it comes to history is the fact that like, we can learn a lot from what a good and a bad leader has been throughout history and what um, historical leaders we can really look to and learn from. Are there any particular individuals that you feel from a manager perspective who's overseeing people or has dealt with people? Um, is there anybody historically that you think is like a great example people can turn to for, for information or guidance? You know, it's interesting because um, I would like to kind of flop that on its head. I feel like we do too much time of trying to identify individuals who we think are great. Mm -hmm. And in my own experience and in a lot of the people that I interview, because I'm doing a lot of interviews and, and, um, and we can talk more about this with people um, uh, reacting to this increased distributed work we're doing, the amount of work we're doing like this on Zoom yeah. um, and, in a distributed fashion. But the people that I talk to about that, the ones who I am most impressed with are the ones who don't stand out in any particular way. They're very, uh, to me, the, the best uh, leaders, if you want to use that word, but the best people to work with are the ones who help you become better, help you and help everyone around them figure out what's needed to be successful, but no ego. I, I really wish we could get away from ego. So I don't like to call out individuals. Um, that said, I think that the the people who are who believe in things like surrounding themselves by with people who are smarter than they are, who who ask everyone's opinion, who they work with and say, what do you think? What have I missed? Who invite people to criticize, who are willing to say, um, Tell, tell me what's not working. Tell, tell me what you feel like I've got wrong or I, I want you to help me make this better. Um, so I have sort of an idea of a type of person and I've met lots of them, um, but I'm not gonna call out any individual. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. I, I like that a lot. Yeah, no, that really makes a lot of sense to me in just thinking about people who have been leaders in my life. Um, when that power differential is not as significant and when I feel that that person is really on my level kind of working um, with me instead of like above me and then giving me orders, I think yeah. there's a huge uh, sense of empowerment that comes from that. Yeah. And so, yeah, not being as like visible, um, but still being that figure that I, I look to, like, I think that I really want to work with you and, and follow you on this path. So, yes. Yes, exactly. And someone who you're not afraid to go approach. And I think sometimes now we, when we talk about leaders, it's like putting them up on a pedestal in a way that some of us get scared to, to just say, hey, I don't understand this. Or um, I think this path that you're going down over here, uh, respectfully, I don't think it's the right one. And you can be scared to, to speak up and, and say that. Mm. Yeah. And in a way, it, like this whole like leadership management culture thing, 
you know, I think there's a certain degree that something becoming really trendy um, in the workforce almost can ruin it where, mm-hmm. you know, ev- like, ev- like you're saying, everybody wants to be like that leader. They want to, you know, be the iconic, great person who everybody wants to turn to who can, you know, whatever it is. And you get a lot of fakers when you do something like that. And then there's mm-hmm. a lot of people who come out of the woodworks who are doing it for the wrong reasons. And it can kind of take away from the people who are really doing a genuine job at being the type of person you're describing. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So then looking at the, the way that like from your perspective mm-hmm. and the, the way that, you know, obviously we're in the middle November of 2020, we're in the middle of a pandemic and so much social um, outcry from multiple different uh, groups in our in our world and our society. Yeah. Um, what what role do you see work having in the world right now? Because I think it's an important role. I'm sorry, HR and like management of companies and the workforce in general. Where where do they need to step in? And do you think the response you've seen from companies out there has been a good response? So you want to know what I think HR should be doing right now? So I guess from a corporate standpoint, what should companies be doing? And then what role maybe do you see HR playing in that role? Oh, I see what you're saying. Thank you. Okay. Mm-hmm. So so I think companies right now, um, I, I think one of the hugest things that's going on right now is the um, the the bright light that's being shined on problems that have been existing in work and gosh in in other areas that affect people's ability to work for a a long time maybe forever but the but the pandemic has shined such a light on them that we shown such a light on them that companies need to address these and probably not just companies governments but hey it it would be great if we had one of those now Um, so um so let me be specific about that. So for instance, um, the people who are getting sick and who are really mostly impacted by this are people of color, people who live in poor areas, people who, who are, um, d- don't have access to health care, all of those things that then impact their ability to work. So companies need to help protect their workers. Um, you know, all these frontline workers, I'm not sure exactly what we do. I wish we could triple the number of them overnight so that we could give everyone a rest, you know, yeah. uh, during. Um, but another group that's a really huge one that's, that I think companies have to look to is uh, working parents, and in particular, working mothers. Mm-hmm. What a mess. I mean, just what an intensely insane time it is for trying to get your job done, keep your kids sane, and for you not to just go nuts and lose it um, right now, all in the same, you know, four walls is just, it's an, ins- it's, it's an insanity to ask. Um, and I think, I think organizations, uh, employers can help by um, letting workers find ways to work flexibly. If they can work with their with their 
peers and their colleagues, the people who are kind of responsible for the same set of tasks or for a chunk of a, a, a job or, or number of jobs to get done, if you'd let them coordinate and if they could find schedules or ways that they can work so that they can kind of spell one another and come up with solutions in kind of smaller groups to be able to say, this would help enormously. You know, if I could have these two hours to be working with my child while they're in school during the day, whatever. Um, and uh, to provide um, resources for healthcare, um, mental health, time off, um, supporting childcare. We got to get childcare back in the picture. There's so many issues. So right now it just feels like there's a lot that worker that that um, companies can provide that they don't, and and I know that that doesn't bode well for what um, stockholders want, but this isn't normal. This is a this is a time that isn't normal, and we need to help one another through these times. I, I feel that very very strongly. Um, what HR can do with that is HR is the group that can. Um, find out what the needs are and get the groups, the, the relevant groups together to talk and give them voice to say, here's what we need. And then talk to other people in HR to find out, well, this is what I'm, I'm doing now is interviewing people to find out what's working, what are you doing? What's different? How are you handling this? So that then we can share the information across different groups and we can say, let's find new ways to handle this, these problems, which probably have been there forever, but we're seeing and feeling so strongly right now. Yeah, the, yeah. the importance of like feeling, um, I feel like held by your company still during these tough times is really pertinent. Um, what comes up for me is like in my clinical work, uh, therapists do a lot of case management, um, which is primarily like what a lot of social workers do is providing access to resources and informing people about a lot of different resources. And as you were speaking, it just seems like that is so important to have in any type of business setting. Um, like everybody should know about the access that they have to certain resources because there's so many out there, sure. uh, but people just have no idea. And they're, it's really hard to, to gain that access if you're not actively seeking or if there isn't somebody who already knows about it that you're really talking to. So um, yeah, I think you're hitting on such an important piece of this and, and seeing the whole person instead of just the, the employee. Yes, yes. And we really see the whole people when we're all working from our homes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, you have, you have coworkers who have their kids zooming through the background or you hear someone shouting, hey, mom, where are they from the other room? You know, it's, it's, we're in our homes and at work. And here we are. Yeah, for so long, right? People have always that like thought that they needed to keep their work life and their home life separate. And now you, you really can't. Yeah. And yeah, I think, you know, I think we'll see, I'm hoping that as things start to normalize, you know, I think one of the big messages that has been going around, I hope a lot of workforces is, you know, as things start to go back to normal, whenever they do, we have to take all the benefits and the pros that we have taken from having to go remote, having to do things online, um, 
and how do we implement those things permanently into what we're doing with our work to make sure that people are getting the benefit? You know, I think there's a huge group of people too who've been, um, you know, benefiting from not driving in the car for two hours in the Bay Area oh, one for way. Sure. So, you know, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how companies take some of these. Um, these elements that are forced upon us right now and implement them as permanent strategies to become just better as companies. And one of the things you mentioned um, that I think is really important is like the mental health aspect, uh, especially when people aren't getting the same level of interaction with other people as they are, and they're doing it through these digital um, platforms. How, I guess, you know, if you're, what you're, whatever you're willing to share from some of the interviews you've been doing, what types of things in terms of community building and like maintaining mental health and supporting employees in that way, have you seen that like maybe working that people can maybe benefit from? So it's, that's a really great question, Brendan. And there, and it's really been interesting to hear and it varies from what I'm seeing so far. It varies from, uh, from kind of company culture to company culture and some organizations, um, kind of more sciencey ones are um, kind of are, are happy with the quiet and the solitude. And there's, there's much more of a, it's me and my work kind of thing. Um, likewise, I find that um, older workers that I'm talking to are probably uh, a little bit easier with the, with the solitude or with the, with the less time for community building and, and sharing, but younger people. When I've talked to them, there's a there's a there's a tendency to set up um, different kinds of uh, venues for connecting that maybe are non-work. So the so the happy hour at the end of the day, where everybody gets a glass of wine or a beer and sits down together and you know does some kind of goofy activity or just talks and completely non-work related. Um, keeping those kinds of connections I'm seeing from a lot of younger people. I think, I think the biggest issue or one of the biggest problems has been onboarding people. Mm. Uh, and this, this brings up this whole question of what, what is a culture in an organization and how do you build one? Is, um, Especially so, remote. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So So you would think about when you were hired in an organization um, what was it like? What did you do? You came in and you met people and, and they told you about the place and they walked you around and you had, you know, different kind of trainings with other people right there who maybe you weren't going to work side by side with, but who were also starting in the organization at the same time. So you bonded a little bit there. We don't have any of that. So it's all online and it's, um, it's a challenge and it makes you stop and think about what is a culture and, and what are the components of it and, and how do we how do we pass that through the ethos and or or, or through the internet to one another um it's it's a challenge yeah what are i mean thought, go ahead, oh Nick. sorry I mean, what are your thoughts on that yeah like how would you define a culture in this setting so i'm Again, it's 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 organization specific, and, and it, it varies a lot with the with what's um, uh, 
uh, it's organization specific. So, um, but it is kind of the set of norms and uh, interactive rules, kind of communication rules and norms uh, that people share with one another. Um, and I think it kind of comes down to that in a distributed world. So then the question becomes, well, okay, let's talk about what are our norms going to be or how are they going to change? Like, do we do what, what takes the place of our morning standup? What, what are we, what are we going to do to, um, to make sure that we are kind of aware in what's going on in different groups within our organization, not who we necessarily work with every, every day, but you know how when you're in the building in your job pre-COVID, how you would just interact or pass with people and you would catch up on what was going on elsewhere. So you just kind of had a bigger sense of what was going on. How do we do that? And I think that we have to be more um, um, out forthright and say, these are the things we have to do. So we have to make sure that we have a place where we record everything so everybody can find so that um, communications are in a, a place that is digitally available because we don't have the passing in the, in the you know, employee lounge or whatever anymore. Um, we need to have rules about when we, when we meet or how often we meet. Um, we have to have uh, rules around best ways to communicate. You know, somebody, a lot of people just, just want to pick up their phone and, and text and, and, or FaceTime with you or whatever really quickly. Um, others are going to be different. So I think it's, it's being a little bit more uh, intentional about what we're doing so that we're actually defining culture more clearly than we had to when we were in person. Yeah, and I think something that's going to go like hand in hand with that as companies are starting to progress is, I, and I'll say this especially for myself, is I've always found that being in person at a company always allowed me to um, be constantly networking when I was in the office or when I was interacting with other people. Um, and from a HR standpoint, specifically like succession planning and looking at your talent pool. And I'll, I think pe there's going to be a big disconnect that gets created from companies not being able to get a, a pulse on their workforce the same way they were previously. Um, how is, I mean, it kind of goes in the same boat, right? It's going to be how can we leverage the technology that we're using in the workplace to start having those kind of interactions. Do you see that being something that's being talked about? And if so, how are companies maybe preparing for something like that? I'm not hearing enough about that. I, yeah, yeah I, I'm not hearing enough about um, using uh, different platforms or different widgets to, to actually do business and to collect data that will help us for like succession planning. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we have to, again, be more intentional about having a way of collecting these data. And it doesn't even have to be data that's, that's like uh, formal, but it can be kind of like, I was talking with Brendan the other day and he had mentioned an interest in um, 
you know, working in this unit at some point. And somewhere if that's just kind of noted, it's, it's similar to um, just kind of the, the, the talk in passing or, or in meeting somebody somewhere. Yeah. We just have to have a way of, of capturing that information and being able to share it in a way that is, I know we have to be careful about what's confidential or, you know, that sort of stuff, but we have, we really have to communicate more um, digitally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. We have to maybe over communicate yeah. so that we can just get the same level of interaction. Yeah. yeah. It'll be interesting to see how that, how that changes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, it's kind of exactly how a lot of hospitals work, right? With their online software is that if you interact with a, a patient or a client, then you make a note yeah. and then everybody has that uh, internal um, access to that note so that they know that they spoke to them yesterday or they spoke to them two minutes ago. Um, mm -hmm. If they were at a different hospital within the mm -hmm. system, then they have mm -hmm. access to that. And uh, so, yeah, that's, super beneficial for me in my work and then I also know that it's also super challenging at a different um like at different places that I've worked in the, in the past to where my communication is just through email and I'm not gonna like put everybody that I work with in one email no everybody gets email blasted so yeah having that like centralized reply all <laughs> yeah. why did they write right? all yeah <laughs> Yeah, that piece is, uh, it's so important. And I think I didn't really realize how important it was until you really mentioned it now. Um, mm -hmm. And now reflecting back on my work, like I'm so much more productive when I have all this access and know everything that's going on. And uh, I think that's a lot of the anxiety and stress I feel with remote work is that I, I really don't have that. And it's really well, working. Nick, you raise a really good point, because not only do we have to collect data that we didn't collect before we have to figure out where and how to store it and who to give access to you know all of these these mm -hmm. privacy issues and we have to be careful about those things but then now we have to learn new systems for well what time of day do i stop and refer to that because maybe there's stuff being loaded in in this you know database that i should just be making it a habit to go and check and see what's new kind of like What's the newest gossip sort of stuff? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. What What is there that I don't, no one's alerted me that I have to go learn, but I would learn something if I went in and reviewed these data. So I think we have to learn, we have to kind of relearn how we work. It's it, the, all of the parts are moving right now. All of the parts. I think people are trying to figure out how much do I want to stay remote? Do I want to go back into an office two days a week or three days a week? Um, you know, and what does that mean? And what kind of rules do we have about having all hands meetings? Um, everything is, is uh, potentially different. And we could come up with some great new wonderful things. Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned before, Brendan, about uh, cutting back the, the commute time. We can help clean up the air if everybody would stop driving so much. That would be fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. It even gets me thinking too about like some of the features that are on LinkedIn that maybe weren't taken very seriously before, but now 
Um, like for example, if I was on LinkedIn, I could go to Nick's profile and I could endorse him as a strong communicator and that would live on his profile. And I think something like that is going to end up being very valuable because otherwise you're, if you're not interacting with people, um, there's not really any other way for you to get that data point on somebody, whether or not they have those skills or qualifications, if you don't know about it, like you have to know about it. Right. So like, right. like you're saying, we're collecting all this data all of a sudden got so much data that we could collect that would really help inform the workplace better. And that's going to be interesting because you can't collect everything, especially no. not at once. So, cause like and you're saying, you got to house it. Yeah. You would go nuts. Yeah. Oh, sifting through it all. You would that's all you would do. You'd never get anything done. So yeah. so we're gonna have to it's it's gonna be a whole new process of learning how totally. to figure out how to do this and what's important and what you let go. And yeah, but I think communication skills are gonna really rock it in terms of importance. Yeah. Yeah. Warren Buffett says that's one of the number one skills he think anybody entering work can gain is learn how to be an effective communicator because I mean it's people communicating is number one skill between people. Yeah. And now it's not only communicating in visual form here, but it's also your, your emails or your posts in, uh, uh, on, um, you know, working apps like Asana or Slack or whatever, um, that all of that stuff, being able to do that really crisply, clearly to the point and everybody gets it quickly. That's going to be super valuable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's cool to think about, well, kind of cool, because our situation obviously right now is is pretty scary, and there's a lot of concern and a lot of uh, a grief that's come along with this process, but uh, thinking about how history can inform the workplace, uh, th- we're, we're in a major experiment right now with this first dramatic shift to remote work, um, with especially the advancements in technology that we've had, and so we have access to this. Um, in a general sense, are you hopeful about a positive relationship with remote work or is it too tough to kind of call right now since we're in just such a, a crisis mode? Uh, I, I think that there's, it's, it's great. I think it's going to be a fabulous addition. Uh, there are, there are lots of people for whom commuting is, is super expensive. Like I said before, we're, we're destroying the, the planet. With all of this driving, I, I don't know if you guys are sensitive to this in the Bay Area, but man, I watch the air quality index every minute of every day, pretty much. And and once you know, when when everybody starts to get back out there driving, the bad air is going to be up there. And and you know, people with asthma is it's it's just it's a huge huge problem. So we can ameliorate a bunch of a bunch of bad things, but I also think that we can. Um, Think of the productivity gains we can have if we don't have to commute. Uh, I mean, except from you know upstairs to downstairs, and um, but we but you know, and then again, we have to dr- be able to draw the line between work and non-work because I think that's another issue that's come up is I'm I'm on call all the time. When do I get to stop working? So so again, that I put that back in that big bucket of all the new things we have to learn about how we're going to work. But yes, I think that there are going to be, this is going to be hugely advantageous. Um, I think another thing that's going to happen is we're going to find um, kind of distributed workplaces all over the place that may develop um, kind of like how we work was, but not 
not really like that, although that could come back in a way. But if but things that then would maybe um, work together with childcare or with um, nearby for people who have other dependents that they have to that to be near people uh, dependents who have disabilities or are older or something like that. We can find all kinds of wonderful ways that help people manage their work life balance or 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 work life integration. Yeah, integration. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and actually, it was what you were just saying was reminding me of something that came up in your class actually, um, and that was I and I remember this vividly because I remember that we you brought up the idea that um, kind of like this B Corp philosophy I guess that's catching a lot of steam, which is that companies are going to start putting their social responsibility before profit, or at least on the same level as their profit, because it's going to be important moving forward for reputation of business and maintaining the health of the planet and individuals. Um, and I, that really resonated with me because I think that, you know, the quality of the business can't truly be measured without measuring the quality of the impact that the business is having. And I think that that goes well beyond financial and even environmental, like there's a huge human factor there. And I think there's going to be a lot more of an adoption of that kind of philosophy in the midst of all this that I think will be net positive. And there's a lot of companies that are even doing like prior to the COVID, right, that I'm thinking about that are these B Corp type companies like Patagonia is a notorious company for having this unbelievable culture and workplace. And they do like childcare at their offices. You can, if you're taking care of your child one day and you have a meeting, like a management meeting, you can bring your child into the boardroom. And that's so foreign to so many people. Um, But it's such a powerful concept that I think hopefully we kind of not deformalize work in the sense that we're like not taking it serious, but um, realizing how important all of this is. So um, yeah, I, I, remember that day in class very vividly being you get a, you got a little backlash people are like what are you talking about nobody's gonna put put it down aside their profits for their people like that sounds crazy yeah, I, th- I think i was talking about the triple bottom line people, that was it people planet and profits correct yeah think of, yeah. Think of all three p's and 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 people were like no it's only about making profits well, yeah no <laughs> I think I think that my generation has shown that you can't be that way, and mm-hmm. and so I think that your generation is much more demanding of we got to take care of people and we got to take care of this planet, um, and and good on you. And we've shown you how to mess it up. Sorry. <laughs> no, but I I think too that one of the powerful things that you know, a business could learn from that triple bottom line approach. I mean, and you even mentioned it before. It's not, it's not answering to your shareholders, right? It's answering, it's, it's not a 90 day plan. It's long-term trust and brand building of your company to like have repeat customers. And that's, what's going to allow you, but it's just so counterintuitive to our culture today as like business. Well, you know, I I think, there's, there's, I think you make a good distinction between short-term profits and long-term profits. And we can't just be about short-term profits mm-hmm. or else we yeah. won't be around to have long-term profits. Yeah, exactly. So I hope that's a, another positive that comes out of this is more, yeah. more companies shifting to that mindset. Cause I mean, really that's, people are going to look to those companies that are doing these types of things to 
figure figure out ideas, right? Because they're probably best suited to start dealing with this. Well, I, I think it's a huge. I think I think B Corp has has shown itself to be a huge um, uh, good for recruiting because people can say th this is a company that has passed some very rigorous tests for showing that they they do care about more than just profits, mm -hmm. and um, and they are a responsible company. So. Uh, and so people say, that's what I want to work for. I, I want to work in a place that I can believe in, like Patagonia. Good example. Yeah. 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 Something that Brendan and I have kind of talked about before, uh, Brendan kind of made this point as to um, when there is a shift back to a workplace at some point, mm -hmm. do you anticipate that there might be uh, some pressure to go into the workplace to be more competitive um, against your coworkers or your peers, uh, like people that are working strictly from home might be viewed as not doing as much. I know this comes back to the culture piece and, and how we really organize this remote work, but do you think that that might be something that is going to be tough to juggle? So, so that's a good one, Nick, and this place to, uh, my answer will play to some of your strengths, uh, which is, um, a lot of this is it deals with trust and trusting other humans. And so one of the things that we find, and again, also back to the notion of each company has its own culture. And so it's going to depend on the culture of the company. And if you have a company where uh, it, what's valued is empowering employees and trusting that they can get the work done and you aren't going to be micromanaging and saying all the time, you know, show me that you're working. A, a lot of these people who are demanding, you need to get back into the office as soon as it's safe COVIDly to get back into the office, are people who believe, don't believe you're working unless they can see you. And we know that a lot of people who are working are surfing online or whatever at work. They're not working. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of silly and outdated, but but we have to help people who are, I don't know if it's old, just older people or if it's just a, a personality type that says, I don't trust people if I can't see that they're working. We have to trust and we have to be able to say, here are the things we need for you to get done. You, got, you get those things done and then I'll evaluate them and we'll use them and we'll keep moving forward. Um, and, and workloads and work content may change as a result of not meeting uh, in person. Um, th there's a lot that could change in, in timeliness of getting work done. But we need to be able to, um, if we're gonna be able to have this distributed work even partly going forward, you have to be able to trust your workforce. And that, I'm talking to some people who are just freaking out and wanting, they want people back now or as soon as it's safe. And they're saying, we can't get this work done unless everybody's back here. And you kind of say, well, why is there something about, so manufacturing jobs or some of these jobs that are take place in labs, you know, pharma jobs, they have to be in a lab or in a factory or in a place where they're actually making things. So that I can understand, but there's a lot of work that we all do that is, um, can be done remotely. And so we, we want to evaluate how much of that should come back. But there's a pushback from people saying, some people saying, nope, 
I want everybody here. And I think that's an educational thing. Um, And I think that's HR can help with that, but that's a culture thing too. Yeah. It's really illuminating the culture piece. Yeah. Cause that's been present forever. If there's like this lack of trust um, that was always there, but this is just really bringing it to the forefront. Yeah. And, and it, it, I mean, I find it boring the places where you don't trust people to get their work done. I would, you just get bored. And like (laughs) emotionally exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. Like just talking about this again. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So just let me, let me go do my job. Yeah. You know, and if I want to get up like, like over this last year, I'm up in the middle of the night a lot. So if I get work done in the middle of the night, great. You'll see it first thing in the morning when you get up and, you know, turn on your various devices. But, um, so but we should stay focused on what is the work that we need to get done. Yeah, actually, and you bring up an interesting point and I'll share a bit of my situation with you. I am actually an hourly employee, Mm. but I'm working from home full time. So I've got a clock in system that we use and Mm -hmm. I'm expected to be available when I am needed uh, for things. It it gets really dicey with the work when you want, when somebody's hourly, because the laws in California have very specific you know, if you're on the clock, like you have to be on the clock. And then if you work at a certain time, you get like the, the rate changes. Right. Um, do you think we, if this really takes hold the way we expect that that could change in some ways? It should. Or, yeah, it, I think so I too. Mean, we, we should, we should, ha- and this is typically that there's a lag in, in regulation and in legislation to keep up with the, the changes in work um, or the changes in technology that we need to be running at full speed and, and, and taking advantage of the new things we've learned. There's, there's almost always a lag in, in that. But yeah, I would say that it would have to change eventually. And then my follow-up question to that is, so I do get the benefit of obviously overtime pay if I'm working longer, but now how would, I mean, completely just like random question, you may not have even thought about this. So it's kind of a tricky one, but how would you calculate somebody working overtime when they can just work whenever they want? Would it just be strictly hours clocked in? But then does that raise any, raise some fraud issues with time cards? Um, again, I, I see, and this is again, I, um, there's trust. Yeah. Um, and, and yes, there will always be people who game the system. Um, and then that calls into question, why are you remunerated in the way you are? Why aren't you just on salary? Right. Uh, so, so there's, there's lots of different issues, but, um, but any way that you tweak it, there's always going to be people who find a workaround. And there's, there's also always going to be people who just adapt and say, okay, this is the new way we're going to do it. And then, and so I'll just report my total time in this 24 hour period. And if it's, if it's over eight hours, then I get time and a half for the hours over eight. So, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I'm hopeful that there can be a, a more positive sense of accountability that's fostered out of this. I know it can go both ways with people like not doing all the work that they need to at home. I mean, it's, it's hard to tell right now because there's so much going on, but um just in general, like people really saying, okay, I'm going to get my stuff done. And then I'm going to have time for myself and have time for my kids. 
Um, when I feel like if you go into a workplace, you can have that to where you're just surfing on the web, but you're saying I was there for nine right. hours or eight hours. So I put right. in my shift. Well, and that's another thing that um, could, could come out of all this is we could find out uh, that people really weren't working as much as we thought. And so we could be either demanding more work from them or reducing their hours. Mm. So there's, there's a lot that can go in a good way. There's a lot that could go in a revealing way that could be negative for employees. Um, but, but we gotta, we gotta look for ways that this stuff gets better. Let me ask you guys, how does, how, how would you benefit from more remote work? Well, for me, definitely the commute has been significantly better. I mean, and it's had a compounding effect for me, right? Cause I, was going into San Francisco and then for a short time, Oakland, and now, you know, saving a minimum two hours a day, probably of just like, if you combine getting ready and driving. And then I have been fortunate enough to, you know, if I get off at 430 and I'm actually home at 430, well, I can start dinner and I'm, you know, as a result, I'm probably eating a little bit better. <laughs> and then if I'm home and I can maybe find time to get that 30 minute workout in that I wasn't before. Right. So there's a lot of benefit, like compounding benefits to just the time that I get back. So that's been the biggest one for me. Um, and that obviously the trickle effect of that can go well beyond just even the two that I mentioned. Sure. What about you, Nick? Yeah. Everything Brennan just spoke on is because I last year I was doing a commute to Alameda from Concord. So it was, it was like 40 minutes to an hour, which isn't too yeah. bad compared to a lot of Bay Area commutes. Yeah. Uh, but still, yeah, yeah, I was having to wake up an hour or two earlier, um, yeah. just to prepare for work. So I have that extra time. But in terms of like therapy with clients, I think this is a huge benefit. So there's a lot of a lot of ambivalence uh, in like the psychology community and working with clients via telehealth. And right. I'm definitely not for telehealth. Um, like if I can meet in person, I, I'm going to want to meet in person, but having that access to where if a client is feeling sick or is unable to get a ride that I can say, okay, well, we'll just have zoom then. And they're flexible that way. Like all clinicians are, are adaptable now. Yeah. And that is a huge benefit because missing a week of session um, might not seem a lot, but it can be pretty significant in the relationship at times. And yeah. especially with clients who have a lot going on. And so yeah. um, it's been a really positive, a difficult positive change, I think, for, for the psychology community. I've, I, I heard a really interesting example of how uh, the nature of work, we, where we can have real true work outcomes that differ um, in psychology, a uh, um, uh, colleague of mine who works with um, mainly with adolescents with eating disorders um, started uh, see, seeing his, seeing his his patients um, remotely and found I think first started just doing it by phone, but found that for kids with eating disorders, being able to like not have you be able to see their body when you're talking was hugely um, liberating. Mm -hmm. I can totally see feel, that. Yeah. They didn't feel like they were being judged. And he said that he had significant gains in 
um, making progress with patients when they could have some level of interaction that seemed you know, personal and immediate, but without having to show his or their bodies. And I thought, wow, wow, okay, yeah, brain blown. That's really, that changes your work, that, that literally for the better. Mm-hmm. So you can actually do better work in some instances by, a, by being able to switch it to a totally remote or distributed fashion. So yeah. we have to look around to see if there are other things that are like that. Yeah, that's amazing. That's yeah. really informative. And if we didn't have this dramatic shift, that might have been something that we didn't really find out for a while. Right. You think about it. People who worry about what their body looks like all the time, mm-hmm. you don't have to see it, but you can talk to them about it. That's yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So HR stuff um, that y- you can do face-to-face, um, but do via Zoom. You get a lot of the same cues via Zoom or via, you know, um, Teams or what, you know, Google Meet, whatever all these are. I don't want to just say one company, but, um, but that uh, you can pick up a lot of the same cues. But, but what I think is the big missing is this is very intentional and we had to set this time and share this code and, and all be present and all be, you know, in a space where, where we can do this. But we miss those passings in the hall and that running into someone in the parking lot or whatever that you, that you used to have. And so we miss mm-hmm. that in the information, yeah. Overall, with all the, all the things you've seen and what you've read and discussed with people, have you come to any conclusions on maybe any best practices that companies should be doing right now that um, to, to benefit their workplace or is this maybe still too early to tell? I'm, yeah, I don't feel like I have my top 10 best list um, yet, but I am really, uh, I am finding um, that top, top of the order right now is think creatively, mm-hmm. think new and different, and don't try to get away from the ways we've thought about how we do things, um, how we've always done things. And say, well, what if we could do it differently? How, what, what would, what would great look like? Mm-hmm. Well, then I'll, I'll maybe pose the question the opposite. Is okay. there anything that you've seen? And again, this is—I think all of these questions—they're always every company culture is going to influence this. These answers differently, but so you can take a pretty general approach to the answer. Okay. But is there anything that you've seen that's just really not working? Well, I think the stress of all these meetings is just driving everyone nuts. It's just too much. Um, and, and Nick, I know that, that seeing clients, that's just the nature of the work. And so it is all the time. But we see this, you know, with teachers and with kids. It's just this, these, this endless day of being in front of a camera all the time is, is debilitating. So I think that this, we got to figure something out away from this. Because uh, this is one big one that, I, that I'm seeing right away. The other is the separation of um, the fact that you have to, that the people at home, like the like the the people with kids, it, that there's no relief. That's another huge yeah. huge problem. Um, and I'm really wanting to talk to more and more people to find out how 
to think creatively about how to do this. So, so this uh, communication is um, possible, but it's more time consuming, I think, in a, in a distributed world. Um, and so then we have to figure out how do we do it in a meaningful way so that we're not wasting any time, but, but still be communicating in the best possible way. So I don't know yet what the answers are, but that is a big problem is the time consumption of communication and the, um, and the amount of time that people are spending on, on meetings like this um, and the, the, um, the pressure on not having the services or not having the time away from stuff in your home life um, to be able to just kind of stay focused on work. Have you seen any creative solutions for the childcare thing that anybody's been able to pull off fairly successfully, or is it just still that running? I know that's been top well, of mind since we'll shut down, right? I mean, yeah. Well, really you know, I'm seeing people who have money um, are able to set up, you know, these these pods with the with just a few kids, and there are private schools that are open. Um, but you have to have money, so this isn't this is a, again, it's kind of like making worse the inequality issue. Right. Um, yeah, because all these people with money can just buy the access to the things they want at a pretty penny. But it's like you're saying, it's leaving behind all of these communities that are already underserved and they're going to continue to be underserved throughout all this. So, yeah. So, so yeah. No, but, I, but I'm really, really, um, this, is, this is a big one for me, mm -hmm. um, is how do we raise healthy kids? And how do we take care of dependents who need us? I mean, even your animals. How do you how do you yeah. do a good job by them um, and be able to not completely mm -hmm. burn out <laughs> um, in the meantime and doing by doing your job um, with all that? Yeah, yeah, it's challenging, yeah. but I yeah. think, think I'm hopeful. Mm -hmm. I'm hopeful that we'll come up with some better ways for a lot of different facets. The question is, how do we make it um, available to, to everyone? That's why employers should be taking on a lot of this stuff, I hope. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so many factors at play. Uh, thinking about like single parents who maybe don't have access to extended family nearby, and so they're forced to work from home. And if their job isn't really suitable for that, it's like a whole different barrier. Um, yeah, so I mean, once schools open up, I'm hopeful that like working from home can be seen in a different light as well. I think it's, it's really hard to see it as a parent right now while you're trying to work and then also have your child like be on zoom all day. Like I, I cannot imagine doing zoom all day as a sixth, sixth grader or anything like that. That's, that's just crazy. Um, and so I was curious, you mentioned earlier that you did some research or you read some research as well about um, both people in a couple working. Um, oh, yeah, dual, impact career, of that. dual career couples, yeah. Yeah, could you let us know about that a bit? That seems yeah, really that interesting. A, yeah, so that was a big one. Okay, so, so I started my first academic job at the end of the 1980s and, uh, and uh, my husband had been, had, uh, we lived in New York City, and, and my husband had already gotten going and had a really good career going in New York City. 
And I said, honey, would it be okay if we moved across the country <laughs> for me to take a job at the University of Oregon? And so then it's like, okay, sure, rip me out. So, so, so one thing you should know, he, he, he's a government worker. So, so his job and his, his value was uh, fixed to that area. So it wasn't like being able to take a job, say, as someone who is a scientist and be able to use the same skill set over on the West Coast. So all of his, a lot of his worth was in knowing the systems of what was going on in government in New York City at the time. So, so going somewhere else, going across the country to Oregon was um, in a way starting over. So, so you have the internal dynamic of this um, uh, negotiation, if you will, between two people of whose career takes precedence, whose career do we maximize? Uh, and we didn't have, or I didn't have examples of, from my own life, and I didn't know very many people who had examples from their own lives to say, oh, here's how you do it, or here's what's worked best from, you know, in my generation or with people that we know. Because we, we're baby boomers and we were raised by families where moms were eager to stay home and not work. Um, so, um, so it was kind of like trying to figure it out from the start. And at first, kind of, the way it kind of went for us was, well, he, he took the hit the first time. So then the next time when we came to a juncture where we had to decide where are we going, what are we doing? Because an opportunity opened up for him, whose career takes precedence or, or, or do we maximize right now? Um, then it was kind of like, well, I took it last time, so it's your turn. So then, so that became kind of a, okay, we'll just do it that way because we don't know any other way to do it. And it was, it was trying to be respectful. It was trying to be um, thinking of one another and helping one another. Um, and, and then the question becomes over time, well, is there a better way to do this? Is there, how are other people doing this? And what is the role of institutions in helping this to work better? So, so what I did study and what I did research on was um, how uh, universities responded, were responding at the time, um, this was in the early 1990s, um, to dual career couples. And so were they providing jobs for what, what was called the trailing spouse, horrible term, um, and uh, how much help would they give? And, uh, and, and so, so that whole field is something that I think, uh, I, haven't, I haven't stayed active in doing work in that area now, and I, and I can't even tell you what the latest developments are, but I do think that this is a huge issue that people, are always faced with is how do we manage and negotiate um, where we live, how much we each work, kind of who takes who takes the home scene more, 
um, then, and the other one kind of is work primary. Uh, these are big, big issues that um, there's not a clear path or a clear set of rules that you do one, two, three, A, B, C kind of way to do it. Um, or if you know of any, let me know because there weren't for me and, I, and I'm not following it actively right now. Oh yeah, yeah. just go ahead and go, Brendan. I was just gonna say, I think I can imagine there's gonna be a lot of pressures on companies now specifically being that uh, the, this ability to work remote is growing so drastically that there's gonna be, you know, if somebody's spouse was moving and they were like, hey, I've been working remote anyway, I'm just gonna, why is there no capacity for me to just extend my work from home? So I, I'm curious how much that will grow. Yeah. Um, and I think we're going to see workforces start to, you know, companies based in the Bay Area are now going to have these nationally spread out workforces that are going to be, it's going to be interesting to see if, you know, working in the same state as your, as your organization is common anymore, because I, I could see, you know, what was it? I think it was Oklahoma was paying people $10,000 to move into their state and bring their job with them. Like if you're a remote worker and you can move and you can relocate, we'll pay you ten thousand dollars to come move to Oklahoma. Wow. Why did so, Oklahoma want people? I think they wanted, you know, if you're getting two hundred thousand dollars at your tech oh. job in Silicon Valley, you're gonna come to Oklahoma and spend it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so okay. and then and then if they could generate that money, they they were gonna make it up in uh taxes and all that other stuff, taxes and spending basically. And okay. home purchases. Yeah. Oh, so. Okay, yeah, but calm down because the HR is already catching on to that one. And saying, <laughs> well, we're we're gonna readjust your pay to where you're right. <laughs> right. Yeah. You yeah. also have to pay taxes in two places too. Is that so, that is how it works, right? You don't. I know that some states, some yeah. situations, it's like where's the work being done, like yeah. or, like the action of your work, not physically. Right. So, so it's so, again, yeah. it's not universal, but but yeah. but there are a lot of places where you would end up paying taxes twice. So right. So. Uh, everybody's going to catch up on that one too, but, but yeah, yeah. So, so, so that's a, yeah, that's a thing. Yeah. Nick, you were going to say something about. Oh yeah. Just that it seems like something like that just doesn't come up until it's there, like until it's present. Right. It's not something like you're saying that's uh, often prepared for because right. um, it's not talked about. And so once, there's a decision around this or there might be a potential conflict. You're like, Oh, maybe we should have thought about this. And now you're like, well, what do we do? <laughs> well, and even if you do talk about it ahead of time, I would argue that your life goes in such a way that you can't predict how well you're going to be. Let's say one of you ended up hating your job and you, and you're like, yeah, sure. I can move fine. Whatever. Yeah. I'm, I'm ready to change anyway. But but if it's the reverse case and it's like, no, I'm just kind of taking off here. I'm just really getting traction. And it's just, you know, people are loving me and they're putting, they're grooming me for promotion and I don't want to go now. Mm -hmm. I, you know, and we know that some relationships break up over this, but, but I think that it, it would be nice to have uh, more help. I'm not sure from where. But it, it's a dilemma. It's really, it, it's, a, it's a real thing. It seems like the recruiting space may have some solutions there in, you know, helping 
high high quality candidates who are being displaced because of these reasons to mm-hmm. to find really targeted like high end appointments in their new location. I mean that Oh sure. Oh yeah, sure. I'm I'm, I'm there's got to be somebody out there who's doing that. Oh there's lot there's lots yeah. of that. There's lots of that, but it's usually um it's usually uh, only available to very high level jobs. Yeah. Um, and they'll say we you know we'll help we'll find a job for your partner. Um Yeah. Oh, so you're saying it's done through like the company who's getting who's doing the, the hiring. doing the hiring of the new person that's causing right the switch. They're like, yeah, we'll also we'll provide a service to your too. spouse. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So there's a lot of that too. Yeah. Um, but but typically for high level companies. Yeah. I mean high level positions. Right. Yeah. And you're also in a pretty unique perspective to kind of transition a little bit in working for a university that does a really fantastic online learning yeah. option also. From the, t- from the classroom perspective, I know we've talked a lot about work so far, but from the classroom perspective, um, and I guess maybe this is more of a macro but have you seen a lot of universities struggle with this transition online and um, cause I imagine GGU was in great shape. Like it probably was no real change for them. They, all these systems are pretty set up. We've been teaching online since the mid 1990s. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were one of the first ones doing it. Um, I mean, we didn't have zoom at the time, but we, but we had, uh, LMSs and you know, platforms for, for, um, having remote learning. Uh, so yeah, the, the transition wasn't that big, although it's amazing how much, when you have a lot of people focused on this now, how many more cool new things are coming up. I mean, just look at, just, just look at all the functions that have been added to something like Zoom. Um, you know, you can take polls, you can have breakout rooms, you can do all these things of, you know, have whiteboards where everybody can get on and be, you know, adding and drawing things, all this mm-hmm. stuff. So, so that's, um, the when you shine the light on it everybody's everybody gets better at it fast but oh i think a lot of a, a lot of the schools that weren't doing this at all and and i don't know if you know this but a lot of faculty members pushed back on on teaching remotely at all um to begin with because they felt like all learning had to be you know in a classroom between people um it's the hardest is the ones that are like labs or places where you have to, you know, like in med school or, or physical therapy training where you have to actually manipulate, you have to be there to manipulate bodies or to learn how to do surgery or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, although there are very cool uh, virtual, virtual learning uh, things for doing this where you, where you can learn how to do these things. They're really expensive. A lot of schools can't do them. And, and I think I think this is another industry where we're going to see a big shakeout is higher ed because not everybody is making the transition very well. Um, but we're, we're good. And we are uh, sharing with one another and making sure that we teach one another what we've learned for best practices for teaching online. So um, it's... Uh, there's good, there is already a lot of fallout. There's a bunch of schools that have either merged with others or are going out of existence. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask, you mentioned the WeWork space prior and how that could be uh, a positive adaptation that might be utilized more so. Um, I know this will be dependent on the type of work that people are doing, but do you really find value in a workspace? And do you think that there should be more so like a balance of remote work and in person? You know, I've thought about that a lot, Nick, and I'm thinking if I, if I go back in, I can do all of my work uh, right from my house. I'm, I'm, I'm totally happy and lucky that the work that I do, I can do completely and, and uh, without missing a beat from home. But I miss seeing my coworkers. I miss seeing the, the, the people who, who I work with. It's a fabulous group of people who work at Golden Gate University. And I miss seeing them and hearing just how they are and what they're doing. And I also learn things about, you know, someone will say, oh, I just developed this new class on racial inequality and we're doing this and it's new and it's this really cool stuff that we've figured out how to do and da 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 da. And I'll be like, ah, let's go get lunch. Let's talk about this, you know? So, so those, those serendipitous moments that, that you learn stuff that can be really valuable, I miss those. Um, but I'm gonna be probably one of those people who will choose to mainly continue to work from home. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, Nick and I were talking to somebody recently and he was mentioning that their workplace is starting to get a pulse for whether or not people, um, I guess it was the thought that if work stays at home and we have this physical building still, how can that building be transformed from office to more of like a corporate gathering space of some kind? Um, and I think that's an interesting perspective. Do you see this transitioning maybe the way benefits are thought of as maybe providing more benefits to employees to attract them in kind of an out? I don't even know if that would be outside of work, to be honest, but like the idea was thrown out there, like you could put a bowling alley in an office and like that would be a draw for employees and it would be a community building space within your company. Um, I don't see that being talked about, um, but I think those are the sorts of things that are missing. I, I remember talking to a person and this was pre-COVID and they were telling me about a company that they had worked for where they they all went 100% remote, um, and it was it was a it was a, I forget what the business was. It was some kind of software development, but they were able to do all the work successfully um, in a distributed fashion, and they did that. and And she said to me, "Yeah, it was great, and but in five years, it fell flat on its face." And I said, "Why?" And she, and she said, "Oh, we just lost everything. We lost all connection to one another. There was no." There was no kind of human glue holding us together. So I'm not saying that I think that that's bound to happen. Um, but I do think that this is an issue that we have to, we have to address mm -hmm. is um, how do we, what do we do to maintain that, uh, that what you get from the bowling, what, what you get from the, uh, from the cafeteria or the, um, the coffee shop whatever, uh, um, so that people feel connected uh, humanly besides just work-wise. Yeah, 
I mean, I remember one of the things actually for my, um, my capstone presentation that I did for um, my degree at GGU, I put in a, a piece from a pre- or a, an article that was written by the Harvard Divinity School about uh, called How We Gather. And I was telling Nick about this recently, and it looks at these alternative communities and where people who identify, it basically said that community, or um, I'm sorry, millennials identify a high level of spirituality, but a low sense of religious connection. Yeah. So they're, they're seeking this spirituality connection other places, and there's a lot of other communities popping up that are giving them access to express the spirituality um, and community is huge in that aspect. And I think it'll be interesting to see how, because I think a, a big difficulty is that people who are feeling this way don't have anywhere to look to outside of work to really have like really good in-depth social interaction. And I think when you take work away, people who are now at home working from home don't have that and yeah. don't know where to turn. Right. And I think that that's going to be an interesting role that a company can play in kind of becoming a, a place for work, but also a community hub of people to kind of work on that culture piece. And I mean, I mean, that just goes back to the whole mental health conversation. Right. I think, I think there'll be more of that. It'll be dicey on how that's executed, but. Um, yeah, there are some ways that people are doing it. Um, not now during the pandemic, but um where companies uh, give people some time off to go do some kind of volunteer work together. Mm -hmm. Uh, Things that are providing some sense of doing good for the work, for the world, which is akin to a spiritual kind of connection, um, but that's company sponsored um, or in terms of you get to take some work time to go do this. Uh, Those sorts of things, I think that, uh, that make, do make, companies more attractive to people who are looking for more than just the ability to earn a paycheck and, you know, uh, improve their work skills. They also want something else, something more from a place uh, of a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, social support. And social support. Yeah. So, and, and, um, and the question is what shape is social support going to take when we're, um, not in the same room to give each other a hug or to, um, you know, be able to, to sit down for um, a cup of tea together. Mm-hmm. I guess we can do that here. We can, we can each, you know, have it. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but still, yeah, as you like shift to a new job, especially if you're going to a new place and um, picking up and moving, if it's all going to be remote, it's going to be really challenging to build those connections. And um, yeah. I think I took for granted how much of a relationship that I had with my coworkers, like how significant that relationship was mm-hmm. until we went to remote work. Uh, and then I started to realize that, wow, we had a really good connection and then it's hard to re- still reach out just virtually. Um, yes. Like a barrier, like there's obviously the, the physical barrier, but there's also a barrier in just really accessing that and really wanting to reach out and then not wanting to put pressure on them to to reach out back and have them be busy. There's there's a lot of different pieces to that. Well, and also then even further, imagine Nick, when we don't, when COVID is over and we can go back to being around in the world, but 
we still remain remote in our work. Mm. It's gonna be, right now we have the excuse of saying, well, we can't be together with people. We have to stay inside and isolate because there's this vir virus out there that we can't catch and spread. But when that's gone, um, hopefully, uh, then uh, will we? how will we react when we still can go about and mix it up with people, but we still choose or our organization has chosen for us that at least three days a week, you're gonna continue to work from home. Will that feel right? We don't, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's, we're really, really in a huge changing moment. This is, this is technology being what it is and the advances that we've made. We've been in a position to switch to distributed work for some time now, but nobody has had the impetus to do so. And now we've been slammed into it and it's just gone, the change has gone what would have maybe taken, I don't know, 10 years to happen naturally to have more and more people say, you know what, we can do this work from home. So why I skip the commute, let's do this. And then to have people go, what are you crazy? But then kind of go, yeah, maybe that's not such a bad idea. And so it would have been a slow, gradual transition. But now, boom, overnight, here we are. And I think we're catching up and we have a lot of catching up to do with what exactly does this mean and how do we wanna play it out? How do we, what's good, what's not good? And uh, the parts that are not good, how can we maybe, how can we work with them to make them better? Um, it's, it's an exciting moment for uh, creative thinking about work, I think, I really do. Um, and that's why I want to, my goal is to talk to as many people as I can to see what their thoughts are on it. Even down to, I'm talking to the people who live on my block um, and say, you know, do you ever think about what we could do on our block? Like that would impact the way you can work. And of course, right now with the kids not being able to go to school, you can think about things you could do to help with the education of the kids. So living in a in a college town, living in Berkeley, we have a lot of really, really smart, accomplished people on this block who could teach um, a little while, give a lecture to kids on the block that would be just fabulous for them. And so you can think of things that you could do and that, you know, right here in my own immediate geographic location. But then I started thinking about, well, how do we expand that so that we can be thinking of the people in the Bay Area more broadly doing their work and meeting the demands that their non-work lives bring? And how can we coordinate in a way that will make both of those better? Hmm. It's an interesting thought. It's just yeah, an exercise. One thing I'm thinking about too is even as you were saying that, and I was thinking back to what we were talking about a moment ago was how working from we, we talk a lot about bringing your kids into the office, but what about bringing the office to the school? And if there was some kind of format where maybe classrooms that are empty or, or something or some facility at a school that's maybe empty could be transitioned into a co-working space mm -hmm. and parents could just be at the school working 
they can have their own quiet space to do what they need mm-hmm. and then be there for their kids in in that format and to continue to use those facilities i think yeah it'll be interesting because i think and kind of to the point you're making with the creativity piece is that somebody's going to come up with something that nobody else thought of yeah and it's going to be the perfect solution but we're just we haven't quite nailed that down yet i think i think there's a, it's going to be some kind of a combination of um what work can be done where and how we use um real estate mm-hmm. yeah commercial real estate's going to go through a massive change if companies aren't filling their buildings with people right but also like if you have a bunch of houses, if you live in a, a residential area or a suburban area, and there are a bunch of houses that have extra rooms that could be used for co-work, mm-hmm. um, uh, might they become small businesses where they're like mini WeWorks, you know? Like right, I, I yeah. One office that I can build in my garage or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that then you can make some money off of that, but that person could be then closer to their kid's school or their daycare or whatever. You know, dog daycare places. It's going to be like a blend of Airbnb <laughs> yeah. and Uber for WeWorking spaces for <laughs> traveling business people who want a live and workplace all at the same time, and they could just do it through an app. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. there's going to be some crazy yeah, innovation. We have a new business at model coming up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's a, it's a it's it's a moment of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but the question is, how do we get the work done that needs to be done for companies, and how do we, um, while we're doing that, what improvements can we make for the the people and the planet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's, it's funny to think about how we were getting to the point to where there was a serious concern about uh, the use of technology and how like younger generations are on it too much. And this happens and now we have to take it to the extreme to where we're saying you need to be on that. And that seems like it might be the thing that brings us out of saying, okay, maybe we should have a balance. Uh, like maybe going completely into this might be beneficial at, at times, but we're really starting to realize that we had something that we kind of took for granted for a while. Oh boy, that that's a huge one because, so I'm not a fan at all of social media and, and I know about the damage that it does to kids uh, and, the, and the risk and the harm that it poses. Um, and I also think that social media contributes to our inability to tolerate points of view that are different from our own. Uh, and that's just making things worse. Uh, so we have, to, we have to figure out how to use technology in a way that is for a common good. I know. I know there are all kinds of things that, if uh, uh, that social media can help with, but in terms of connecting people, and if you're far, far away from your family, or like during COVID, the only way you can talk to people is, um, you know, I don't know, through through some form of social media. But we got to figure out how to 
protect people. Yeah. Yeah, it's Yeah, and I don't know how how like into this topic you go, but there's a lot of concern right now with first of all how content is being curated for people and how it pushes them the most polarizing topics that infuriates them that makes them more hostile towards the opposition of what their popular opinion is. But then also the way that it's you know infringing on our freedom of speech and certain people are getting their accounts shut down yeah i mean it's they know what they're doing and they're making this as um as much of your attention as they can continue to consume they that's what they're going for yeah. and yeah i think we just as a society need to reevaluate the responsibility we have on managing these things properly, because I think you're making a good point that there's so much positive that can come out of the the technology and the tools we have. But if we're going to abuse them and not do them in a way that's designed to impact us positively, then, you know, there's a strong debate that we just shouldn't have them until we're ready to do that. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be very interesting. And I hope that maybe to Nick's point that this, pushed back towards you know we're doing this right now we're being kind of pushed into this technology situation and i hope it pushes us also towards a responsibility with that technology too yes and so the so back to nick's point about the kids in the classrooms all the time and and so they're being they're being pushed into you know doing everything online there's one thing about uh, so i think it has to do with the rules of the interactions that that we that we need to address so when the kids are in like a zoom classroom with their teacher there are set rules about you know how you raise your hand or who talks or when you're muted and when you aren't and all of this kind of stuff and uh, and everybody plays by those rules so then the question becomes, yes, it's, it's determining what the rules are on the other non-school um, media and formats and, and how, do we, how do we set rules, how do we set guidelines and who enforces them? And yes, that is a whole big <laughs> topic and I don't know that, <laughs> yeah. that I, go, I have very strong feelings and opinions, but uh, yeah. That's definitely an ongoing process. Yes. It comes up a lot in just life in general, but yeah, also in like my clinical work, um, how should parents enforce uh, restrictions on technology and um, what, like what limit should I set for myself in informing like youth or parents about this? And I feel like that you might set a rule now, but then five years from now, there's going to be something else that's online that you're not going to know how to deal with. And so this like ongoing flexibility is so key. And I hope that that can be a general takeaway, like you were saying as well, is that there's going to be like a forced creativity and a forced flexibility that we're all going to have to adapt to. And hopefully that just builds a little more resilience in us all. And that like when we do face change, we are able to overcome it because we have to. Right. We need to, we need to, we need to learn. And then we need to agree to what the new rules are and everybody and, and have some kind of a, uh, a method or a structure for enforcing those rules and consequences if you don't. Yeah. 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 Another thing I was, Hmm? I was, I was just going to say, I was thinking too, that 
one of the fears that I have with the education online and all these like young kids trying to be educated at home in front of a computer. I, th I think there's this built in negative consequence of social media. There's this now built in function of it where there's a, a minimum requirement for something that's going to grab our attention effectively um, and really allow us to engage in what's going on. And I don't know that school can meet that minimum requirement in the traditional sense. So we're throwing these kids in front of these computers and we're telling them that this is their education. Um, and these teachers aren't, I mean, at no fault of their own, they're not prepared to be captivating their students in this new format. And I fear that there could be this mass undereducated generation that's, that could come out of this until we figure it out. And it is concerning because I think back to the point that you were making, this is only going to further expand the um, some of the inequalities we have in this country. And it's going to get worse for the people who are at the worst end of the spectrum now already. Um, so, man, I just, you know, just to, I guess, add to the point of how, how difficult this whole situation is and how maybe we need to be reevaluating technology, kind of put a somber note on it, but... <laughs> Well, I mean, there's there's so many problems here that need to be addressed. And oh, I, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, technology is a, 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 a very strong force for both good and evil in our lives. And we need to get a grip, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. which we don't have right now. Yeah. 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 I've, I've appreciated how you've really spoken to the complexity of this uh, whole topic, because I feel like it's easy to think about things like this on a macro level of like, yeah, remote works. Okay. Um, but yeah, there are so many different pieces like in terms of injustices that are occurring underneath it uh, that we can easily neglect. Um, so it's, it's going to be a weird transition or really interesting to think about how that is at play as well as things open up too. Um, and I'm thinking about how, what is, what are the rules that, how are the rules going to translate over from Zoom classes for, let's say a five-year-old who this is their first experience in school? Like, mm -hmm. how is that going to translate into a classroom now? And then the same thing for maybe somebody who's fresh out of high school or fresh out of college, how is their first experience of work being all online going to translate to them going into a workplace now? Is it going to be adaptive and they're going to be better off at this point because they're going to have this new skill set or is it going to be a re like a restart well if they figure it out in school they'll come to the workplace and say boy are you guys out of touch let us tell you how to do it <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah right um i whoever gets there first it you know it should go up and down the chain of mm -hmm. uh uh teaching one another um, but th but that's how it should always be. Um, when somebody figures something out, share it with everyone else, and and uh, let's let's all learn from one another. That's mm -hmm. the back to why I wanted to be a professor. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, just the importance of uh, of data right now and research. I think well, that. Yeah. Yeah. So much data. Um, I heard a really good interview with um, a podcast with Raj Chetty, 
He's, a, he's an economist, he's at Harvard, and he was talking about using a lot of data. Um, and he was interviewed by Kara Swisher on her podcast called Sway. It's a New York Times-based podcast. And uh, he, was, he was talking about being able to, we can get so much data from so many sources um, to really figure out um, where we can make a difference. And that's the beauty of both uh, a lot of data that's collected and uh, computing power to be able to manage and, and manipulate and uh, analyze huge, huge amounts of data. Um, and so, for example, he was he was giving he was talking about looking at where little kids um, uh, grew up and what what was the probability of being becoming an inventor when they got to be older. And it can be sometimes just the matter of living a few miles in a different direction. And he could get to that granular level of answering questions that, that predicted where people came out. Um, and, and, then, and then the ripple effects of looking at all the kinds of policy issues related to that. And so it's just, we can use data to answer a huge number of questions and help us do things much, much better. Um, so data, big data can be used, has many uses for good. I'm, I'm a firm believer. Right. Yeah. Are there any like assessments out there for people who are like suitable for work, for remote work, um, like prior to COVID? You know, that's a really good question. I do not know the answer to that. Uh, I, I have, the people that I've been talking to, the decisions that are being made are now based entirely on um, can the work itself, in other words, the, the series of tasks that make up the job, can they be done remotely mm -hmm. um, versus do you have to be there in person to do them? Uh, and so the focus has been on the job, not the individual. Mm. That's, that's interesting. Um, yeah, actually, Nick, I'll turn that question back onto you. Is there like a certain, you know, temperament or some kind of, uh, identifier that you feel would be a justifiable, like testing result that companies could use if that comes up on top of your head, at least, that companies could use to identify who may work better from home? Um, I think there's a lot of details that can come out of an assessment that could predict, like, what would be best. But just in general, I think, like, the difference between introversion and extroversion could be pretty, um, pretty notable in that, like, an extrovert might do better in a space to where they're around people all the time mm -hmm. instead of having to forcibly access people through a computer yeah. um, and an introvert might be 10 times more efficient at home um so things like that because i know that there are already assessments uh like looking at different types of styles of work and like what field you'll be best in and i'm sure mm -hmm. you're both familiar with that yeah um 
and the idea just came because I know that with schools uh, and younger children, there's some assessments that can be done to note if the child or teen is effective in doing some work from home, some independent studies, mm -hmm. uh, and if that might not be suitable as well. Mm -hmm. So I think that that could be something that could be pretty helpful in determining um, the most effective space for the person and then also taking in their opinion as well, but uh, a more data-driven uh, resource. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Yeah, matching different types of people to different types of work where you can characterize both. Mm -hmm. what's, needed, what, what's needed to get each of the tasks done on the one side versus what are the different characteristics of the individuals that like the introvert extrovert sort of uh, continuum or the um, works autonomously versus must have direction kind of thing you know uh, those mm -hmm. sorts of those sorts of evaluations of where people are in terms of who they are and how they work and then, then maybe you can match the two somehow yeah, I think it even makes a really strong case for why, you know, you could use that data to justify to a company why they need to give the option for both, because you need to be maximizing everybody on the individual level from their productivity. So having the option for somebody to work from home, if that's where you're going to get the most out of that individual is probably a really good thing to be able to have both options. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I think it's cool that this can just be something in the future to where we're not under these circumstances to where if you notice that maybe somebody is a little stressed or they have a lot going on at home that you can say, Hey, maybe you should work from home like this week or next week. Uh, yeah. and then see how that goes. There's a lot more flexibility with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you could kind of seamlessly move between the two, that would right. be great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah. Um, we also, we kind of like to ask too, what would be one piece of advice you'd give to somebody who's interested in getting into the HR field? Oh boy. So nowadays I would say, um, so, the, so there are some in, within the field of HR, there's, there's all these different subfields. And one of the big, one of the really, really hot ones right now is, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so that has to do with um, uh, taking into account that the, the workforce has changed in terms of the, that there's greater diversity in the, in, the, in the types of people in the workforce, and many of whom have not historically had the same representation throughout the organization. And so uh, a job for in that area that's of huge concern to companies right now is how do we make that happen? How do, how do we help people to see and be able to teach others and help uh, build pathways for more inclusion and more opportunities for uh, people who aren't, sorry guys, but white males mm -hmm. just yeah no definitely um, so so um so that's a that's a huge growth area but that speaks to also just in general um 
what I would say for people who are interested in getting into HR now, it, it's a field that's really good for people who are very concerned with working with people and managing people and using data. I think we really do need to know how to use data in HR. And that has historically been not the case. People would say, well, I'm a people person, so I'm gonna go into HR. But I think we do need to know how to uh, measure, record, and then use the data about people. So comfort with analytics and, and uh, uh, a passion for uh, the better management of people within organizations. Yeah, I think that's great. I, I just really appreciate your person-centered approach to the whole job experience in general. Because um, I think it's easy to think about just work and even in HR, I know HR is very person-centered like as a field, but you can get caught in logisticals very easily. Uh, and so I, I just really appreciate that approach of really just working for the person. Well, it ultimately helps the company. Yeah. Yep. Well, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it too. You're, I've, you know, obviously we've known each other, but I do really appreciate the, the depth and the quality of consideration you bring to the topic because I think it's very lacking in a lot of settings. And, you know, it resonated with me when, like, specifically in the ethics course when I got to know your perspective a little bit more and it resonated with me a lot because uh, I think we share a lot of the same perspective on that. So yeah, thanks for, thanks for being a part of this conversation with us today. Uh, it's been a pleasure, really, truly a pleasure and an honor. Thanks very much, you guys. Yeah, thank you. Oh. Okay. Awesome. Son of a gun, Nick. Shoot. What did you think of that? Fantastic. I'm a fan. Fantastic. Big fan. CEO of Big Fan. Big, big fan. Well, if like a fan, that one had you spinning, um, please continue to tune in to all of our future episodes. All of our content goes up on YouTube, podcast apps, Instagram. Follow us everywhere. We appreciate the support. Blow some smoke our way. And then we'll fan it away. Boom. <laughs>